Hi, this is Chris Poland of Ohm, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Man, being realistic. As the story grows. I always wanted to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. You though, uh, th- this is this is my business phone, okay. And I run a couple hundred studios downtown, so every once in a while, someone's gonna try and call. I don't know if it's gonna affect you know if someone's speaking or not. Oh, whatever, dude. I, it's fine, I understand. Um, did you say you run a couple hundred studios? Yeah, like rehearsal rooms. Oh my god, okay, wow, yeah, two, 220. That's 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 what you know, that's where my studio is. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, how, yeah. how, okay, where are 220 st- studios? Oh, in a huge, we, we have a building, it's about as big as a football field, it's uh, four stories, we have two of the floors. Okay, who's who's we, who are you partnered with? Uh, downtown Rehearsal. Gotcha, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm from the East Coast, man, I don't even know who you're talking about, but wow, that's amazing, that's a, that's a lot of rooms. Yeah, a lot of musicians. How long have you been uh, in that business? Oh, 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. There's the supplemental income, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Is that, your main, is, that your main, is that your main bread and butter? Pretty much, yeah. Right on. Okay, I get it. So you said you've never been on a podcast before. Yeah, this is my first. I am Chris Poland's first podcast. That's exciting. I like that. <laughs> um. So, welcome back to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. My name's Trav, and I get to talk to Chris Poland, uh, currently of Ohm, and formerly, I guess everybody probably knows that you were in Megadeth for a little while. Um, super honored to talk to you, man. Can't, can't well, tell you how many times I've listened to, uh, I, I think, I play drums, so I liked you as a guitarist before I realized who, uh, who I did and didn't like as guitarists. So, uh, oh, thanks, Travis. I was a kid, dude. So um, thanks for coming on the show, man. I know you're busy. Uh, you said you, were, you you had to jam me in between practice sessions because you're on your way to Nam. You said you're going to be playing at Nam soon. Well, we're playing the baked potato um, on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then um, then I'm four days at Nam at a, a Stone Tone. Okay, all right. With just you, just shredding, or with Ohm? Uh, just myself. Okay. Oh, cool. Very cool. So let's back this up. Uh, where do I start with you? Uh, just start off from little Chris Poland, man. How did this all get started for you? 
Oh, man. I guess um, my cousin, his name's Eddie Boris. He was in a band, and, you know, I was just a little kid, but, you know, he had guitars and amps and fuzz boxes, and I just thought it was so cool. And uh, so I, I kind of begged my parents for a guitar. They got me the guitar, and and uh, that's how it started. How old were you? Oh, God. Maybe seven. Oh, jeez. Oh, my goodness. My mom took me for guitar lessons when I was 12, and, she, and the guitar lesson guy said, his hands are too small. Maybe come back next year when he's 13. <laughs> I know, right? And then that year is when I started, I went, I went down a different road. I started playing drums. So uh, I hear that you were seven, and I'm thinking, man, I don't think that dude knew what he was talking about. Your hands had to be littler than mine, right? At seven, oh, yeah, man. I would think. Well, my first guitar was a, an acoustic uh, six-string, like a small Hawaiian guitar. Okay. And um, it did, I think it cost 20 bucks or something. <laughs> yeah, it was used. It was all beat up. Mm-hmm. And I and I used to bend this first like down and you know doing blues bends mm-hmm. because I because I saw my cousin do it and I actually put a divot in the fretboard from doing it in the same spot man <laughs> and um and so that got me started and then uh, my mom and dad thought you know well he's really into it let's yeah. buy him a cheap electric guitar and so then they did and that was a Supro. That was before Supro just came out again. So um, I had this Supro guitar, and I just thought I was, you know, it, you know? Yeah, man. So then I saved up all my money, and I bought the same fuzz box that my cousin had. Okay. <laughs> and it was one of those boss tones that plug into the guitar. Okay. And I used that for, I don't know, man, probably five years. So Gar saw me play somewhere. And he nicknamed me Fuzz Tone Poland because I always had a fuzz on. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you meet? How did you meet Gar? Ch- we, uh, this is this is funny. You know, I, I'm I'm at a private school. You know, you got to wear a tie, and um, I'm with my friend at a restaurant right across from Gar's house. And so Gar walks in, hair down, you know, to his shoulders, you know, and I'm all clean cut. It starts throwing joints at me. Okay, stop, stop. You're sitting there minding your own business, and the stranger throws joints. I've never even even met Gar in my entire life. (laughs) Okay. So he throws a joint on the table, and he goes, Hey, man, I'm Gar. You want to jam? And and I grab the joint. I'm like, What are you doing, man? Sit down. And um, I was with uh, my friend at the time, Bill Brazil. And um, so Gar sits down, and I think Billy Smith was with him. Okay. And uh, we were like, you know, the trio of doom for a long time, me, Billy, and Gar. But um, anyway, so I said, sure. And I think that same day, I got my gear and went over to Gar's house. How did Gar know you even played guitar to walk up and throw joints on your table and invite you to jam? Because he saw me play at a... The Battle of the Bands. Oh, he saw you. Okay, okay. All right. And um, and I guess he saw that I had my fuzz on the whole time. 
fuzz box Poland. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that's how that all started. <laughs> was Gar um, older than you? Younger than you? Same age. Same age. Okay. Did he did he go to the same school? No, no. He went to uh, a public school. Doesn't sound like it because he had the long hair. So why why were you in private school? Was that a was that a any particular uh, reason? Oh man. You know what? Uh, I went there because my girlfriend went there. Ah, okay. And and my sister had gone there, and so my parents were like, well, he can go there if he wants. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And, and then eventually, you know, I had so, mon- so much credit from, uh, from um, going to a, a private school that when I went to public school, I only had to take two courses a day. Yeah. So I... So I took, uh, I think it was English and history. Okay. And then I, and then I split. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. no, it, was, it was awesome. But the principal hated me because he's, he goes, Hey, Poland, this isn't a country club, you know? Like, and you were like, you and you were like, it kind of is. I only have to take two classes later. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And, <laughs> and, and it doesn't even matter because I don't even care anymore. And can, don't you know that? Right. You know, I knew I was going to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. My headphones are messed up. That's all right. You mean, oh, there you go. Okay. Faulty wire or something? Is it like crapping out on you? Or? Yeah. Oh, boy, if you could see what these look like. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're my daughter's headphones. They're totally rainbow. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, man. You're going yeah, to like send me a selfie. I look like, I look like a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. I'm picturing you... With the kind of pseudo short on top, long in the back, super mullet from the Megadeth <laughs> album. So don't don't fuck up my image of you with rainbow headphones, man. Okay, <laughs> you'll ruin my childhood, bro. <laughs> so um, well, let, hey, you brought her up. Let's fast forward and jump forward real quick. Uh, how old's your daughter? How many kids do you have? I I have one daughter. Okay, and she's not she's nine, and. Uh, She's she's having a play a sleepover play date with her friend from last night. Right on. So they're out there making slime. My yo, I have a ten year old and he just made slime a little while ago and the little prick left it all over the house. Oh. All over the house. You know what, man? I have a I have a case of every slime she ever made. <laughs> really? Yeah, I it must be a thousand dollars worth of slime. <laughs> Does it does it have street value? Can you get a grand for slime? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> Kids are making it themselves. I don't think you're going to get a grand for slime, man. You're going to have to save up and buy headphones. You, you know what, though? Slime. She, she's really good at it. Married? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. Yeah, Allison. Allison's my wife. Okay. What happened with your guitar career? Before Gar got into Megadeth, and you kind of followed him in there. Like, what was going on pre-Megadeth in your guitar career? Oh, um, uh, me and uh, Pag, Robbie Pagliari, and uh, Gar's brother Stu, and whatever horn player we could find, we had like a fusion band, and uh, we were called the New Yorkers. Right on. And it was fun, man. I mean... We only got together for rehearsals two nights a week, uh-huh. and, and then we would play shows all over town. And, um, yeah, we were 
we had a big following then. Um, we did that for a long time, and then all of a sudden, th that was back when the Knack came out, and all of a sudden, music changed all over LA, and yeah, we co we couldn't get gigs anymore, so we broke up. The the skinny tie new wave thing kind of kicked it, in the shins, huh? Oh, it was big out here. I mean, it sure. was like, yeah, I mean, it changed fashion and everything. It was like sure. nuts. Yeah. So then, as legend has it, and when I say legend, as I said before, I'm reading your Wikipedia page. I don't know how much of it's true, but somehow Gar became the drummer for Megadeth. Oh, yeah. Here, um, our manager was Jay Jones. Your manager and, from the New Yorkers, you mean? Yeah, and okay. he, also, he also managed Dave and, and Megadeth at the time. Okay. So, so Dave was looking for a drummer, and of course Jay said, I got a drummer. Mm. And, and so Gar got together with uh, uh, Mustaine and Ellison, and I went to see him at a club, three-piece, and... and you know, I could tell what they were doing, but, you know, they were not going to do it three-piece. So um, I told Gar, I said, you guys, they need another guitar player. And since you're in the band and I want to play with you, what do we do? Okay. So you're blowing my mind right now because I kind of assumed for the past uh, 30 years that Megadeth was a four-piece and you somehow trumped another dude out of his job. You're telling me Megadeth was a three-piece? Like, were they searching for a guitarist, or were they going to yeah, move forward? I'm, I'm pretty sure they were searching. Okay, I see. And because Gar was in that band, right? and I just, you know, me and Gar had, had been playing forever Wow. together. Dude. Okay. And, you know, we'd, we'd been doing really complicated stuff. So, like, when, you know, I, I heard the music, I was like, yeah, it's super challenging, man. This will be fun. Right. I think that's what appealed to me about Megadeth. I'm not going to take anything from Metallica. They were awesome. But I think... And, and, and Dave was... Mustaine was on the first Metallica album, so let, let's yeah move forward. Um, when Kurt came in, they had a little bit more of a blues wah-wah pedal thing going, where I feel like Megadeth always had this weird choice of chords... And I didn't understand what jazz and fusion was when I was a kid because I just wanted to shred and grow my hair long when I, as soon as I was allowed to, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there was something about Megadeth that had some weird, strange, appealing... I just felt like the, some of the musical choices went in different directions. And yeah. I think I'm it, tying that with you now. Like, I'm just... This well, is discovery for me, like, right now. This is kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Well, the thing was is, um, you know, Dave Mustaine... Mm -hmm kind of basically showed Junior the ropes of, like, the kind of music to... I mean, Dave Ellison was a Van Halen fan, you know right. what I mean? And, and you know, Mustaine was about Diamond Head and, you know, all the super heavy, you know, Motorhead. And, right. And, I, and so I think he kind of weaned jun Junior into uh, whatever he is now, but... Right. Me and Gar, me and Gar came from a different place. I mean, we, li you know, we liked heavy music. You know, that kind of music when we were growing up wasn't even around. It was all, you know, Zeppelin and Deep Purple and uh -huh. all that kind of stuff. You know, and uh, but we also really liked to listen to jazz fusion stuff. Like what so at the time? He, oh God, Weather Report and 
uh, Stanley Clark, the solo <laughs> records, and Return to Forever. And I mean, Gar came home with the first release of the the Bill Bruford, the, his first solo record, and I was asleep. And he and and he came. It was like three in the morning, and he's like pumping this this record. <laughs> and uh, I, that's that's I heard Holdsworth playing, but I also heard um, Annette Peacock doing some spoken word thing, and I thought there was a woman in my living room talking. <laughs> yeah, no, no. If you ever hear that record, the mix of her voice is so loud that it's not even natural. You okay. Know? So. Um, this is Bruford's. So this isn't Earthworks yet. This is Bruford's solo stuff. Yeah, it, it, the first one I think was um, I can't remember. He's there's a symbol on the cover and he's got his hand in front of it. I can't say I'm familiar with it, but I'll check it out. Uh, oh yeah, no, it's. I mean, you got to check it out just to hear Holdsworth. Oh yeah. But um, so anyway, I get up and there's Gar and I'm like, holy shit, man! I thought there was a girl in here. <laughs> and um, anyway, so you're, then, all, dis you're all disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but anyway, that's the kind of stuff that we listen to. Mm -hmm. And so, and then, you know, when we started playing Dave's stuff, we just, that's, that's how we heard and felt things because that's, you know, we always aspired to kind of meet that level. And I'm never, I've never said I'm a jazz guitar player, man. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just a guy that, that, you know, I'm a rock blues guy that listened to a lot of jazz is all there is, man. Like, I, I can't, I could I, I'm not playing, I'm not playing changes over giant steps or anything, you know? I got you. No, I got you. Yeah, yeah, you're not playing, like, standards or whatever, but, but there's, there's something about, there's something about that style leaping forward into a ohm, an ohm free, even, a huge ohm free's right. fan. Um, there's just something about it where sometimes some of the metal guys that are into jazz are a little too jazzy for me. Sometimes some of the jazz guys that bump up against metal aren't metal enough for me. Like like, like some and there's 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 like this this weird stricken balance with damn near every band you've ever been in without sounding like an ass kisser. I've just I've just been able to follow your discography as a guitarist, as someone that the, I don't know how to play guitar. I I can't I mean I screw up the intro to a Nirvana song. I, I'm not a guitarist, but there's something about a particular style about certain <laughs> certain dudes. I just I automatically know I'm going to like what this guy does. I just like his style. You know what I mean? And you're one of the few guys that I can. I feel like I might be able to pick you out if I heard you. Oh, you know? oh that's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll probably I'll probably screw that up if you put me to the test. But <laughs> but I I wasn't I was never sure if um if Megadeth was a four piece and you kicked a dude out of his seat or not but it was megadeth was still searching for that for that missing extra, that, that missing other fourth member and because of gar and the management you had an audition yeah so, pretty so, much so yeah. take take me to that day man you you went to what's it called mars studio yeah mars it was a rehearsal place it was like uh, they had one big room with a with a stage okay and i think that i think they had four small rooms okay so, so what, um, what happened? Did that knock, knock, knock? It was Mustaine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, had <laughs> all my gear there, and it was all of them. They were at the door, and and uh, I'm not sure exactly. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was like, hey man. And I, I answered the door, and um, he said, hey man, you want to join Megadeth? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. It was that seriously. It was that. It was, it was just, you know, everybody knew what was, why I was there. It wasn't a, a mystery, you know. Right, right, right. It was like, I, I think, 
I think basically they wanted to know. You know, they needed they needed to hear me play, and that's why I did that. So it was like kind of set up, and everybody knew what was going on, but everybody kind of pretended they didn't until. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it was like that. I think they just oh, thought, okay. well, you know, if he doesn't suck, he can join the band. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So then, fast forward to uh, now, you're in Megadeth. This is a thing now. So, um, uh, killing is my business, right? Recorded, toured. Um, if this is something that you don't want to get into, that's fine. I won't. I won't put it in or anything. But at some point, there was there was some tension where you didn't want to be. You weren't. You weren't affiliated with Megadeth anymore. And I feel like I've read numerous interviews before where it was it was drug abuse and stuff and, and all that. Um, well, no, it wasn't that at all. It was um, those guys went and signed a T-shirt deal. And me and Gar weren't on it, and and I got really upset about it. So, when really? it came time, yeah, when it came time to go, I said no, I'm not going. That was yeah. after that was after Peace Cells. No, no, this was when Mike Albert did the first tour. Oh, I okay, all right, all right, all right. And then um, when they came back, somehow me and Dave Mustaine got together again. Mm-hmm. And, and and me, him, and Junior were talking. I think Gar was there, and he said, "Hey, man, we had to do that T-shirt deal, and we had to do it fast before the tour started. And only me and Dave were available." And and so I just sucked it up and said, "Okay, I get it." And then I joined the band again. Mm. And then peace cells. Uh, yeah, and then we did peace cells. But I believe we. I think we toured six times before we even recorded peace cells, doing that material live. Wow. Okay. Had to be at least three tours. I just remember being on the road forever, and we'd be like someplace back east, freezing cold, <laughs> and you know we'd be talking. Yeah, when we get back, we got to make this record. Tell the uh, tell me a little bit about the difference between joining the band. I mean, Mustaine is Mustaine. He's he's no slouch. He's an excellent guitarist. Um, but tell me a little bit about the dynamics between him showing you parts. We're going to learn these and go and hit the road versus hitting the road and pretty much having the album road tight before you recorded. That that was, you know, I'm not sure that was a plan. Mm-hmm. I think a- Andy Somers was our uh, our booking agent and I think he just wanted us to get out there. Mm-hmm. Because Met- Metallica was breaking and and um and it was the right thing to do. And then um Janie Hoffman got us on the uh, Alice Cooper tour. And I honestly think that's that broke the band because right after that we went in and just things took off, man. Mm-hmm. Were things taking off, and it led to the um, I guess Peace Cells was like a quote unquote single, if you will. Did 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 the band break, and that led to the single, or did somehow you guys luck out and get Peace Cells to be a single, and then that broke the band? Which order was it? Oh, uh, I think it was uh. 
Penelope Spears, or I can't remember what her name was, but okay. it was that video. The video was was really good. Yeah. And and the song was really good. Yeah, so but the, you know, to begin, the song was really long. I think it was over eight minutes long. And Gar made the suggestion to Dave to cut it shorter. He said, if this song's this long, the record company's going to edit it anyway, so why don't we do it now? And Dave said, yeah, you're right. And then that's why the song became a single. Mm -hmm. Did anything... Uh, how do I ask this? Did anything financially start to change for you? Did, did you start to see a, a, a lifestyle of like, we were, out, we were out east freezing, trying to figure out where to eat next to, hey... I'm doing okay now. Uh, not really. Mm. Um, reason yeah. I ask is because I remember the for the MTV News bit. Yeah, yeah but nobody nobody got any money for that. I just assumed Megadeth made a billion dollars every time that played or something. Because <laughs> I was an ignorant no. kid. I don't know how this shit works. You know? No, and actually, actually, I, one day Dave said, hey, man, guys, can you kick us back a little dough for that? Sure. And they said no. <laughs> nice. So at this point, those of us who were, when was this? This was like 88? No, 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 87. 87. Um, I am 12 or 13 at this time. So, of course, my, my perception is every band on MTV are millionaires and you yeah, have fly, your own bus. <laughs> flying around in jets. Sure. Yeah, no, because no, you're a dumb kid and you don't know how the industry works. But yeah. um, was... Was Megadeth at any sort of? Uh, did you did you experience any change with your time in Megadeth from going yeah, to like, no. the vans and the bus kind of stuff? Or? Here's what happened: was when Peace Cell started taking off, we actually got a three bedroom apartment and didn't have to live in the rehearsal room. Okay. And that was the big change, and then we got two hundred dollar a week per diems. Okay. And that's the life of a Megadeth, you know, rock star during the Peace Cells years. $200 a week. <laughs> yep. Ooh. Living large. Well, I mean, you know what? Probably doing better than some, I'll bet, because you guys were headlining. Oh, you yeah. You started headlining, right? Uh, theaters. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, we always opened in large, you know, venues for someone else, but... Right, right. So... What happened uh, for the separation after after Peace Cells, you and Dave didn't come back together until System has failed, which was 04, I think. So that's quite a that's quite a break. So what happened after Peace Cells that you guys parted ways? Oh, you know, come, we're just all crazy. There's a lot of stuff that it's just hard to describe, man, and it's not worth talking about that's because fine. it's that's fine. it's just a, it's just going to bring everybody down and go, wow, that sucks. Sure, and and that's and again, I'm not I'm not digging for dirt, man. That's cool. I'm just you know just a, a fan who's curious. According to my calculations, the next thing you did was a solo record called Return to Metropolis. Oh no, uh, the next thing I did was I did a tour playing bass uh, with the Circle Jerks. And, and I didn't know that until I read your Wikipedia page, but I got my timeline goofed up. Dude, how the hell do you wind up in the Circle Jerks? Um, I guess the bass player uh, joined uh, someone from the Clash's band. 
Okay. And 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 Andy Somers was like throwing me a bone, saying, "Hey, can you play bass?" And I said, "Yeah, I could play bass." And he goes, "You want to play bass in a punk rock band?" And I said, "Absolutely." And um, that's Why? how I joined. The, yeah, I was, oh, Why? because I mean, I didn't, was, I didn't, I didn't get the impression for you you were a punk rock guy. Yeah, no, I knew it was going to be fun because I knew who the circle jerks were. Sure. So that's what I I said. What the hell? I'm going to do it. Did you only tour with them, or were you on any records? Oh, we were going to make a live record, and they got in a fight with, uh, I think it was Steve Sinclair at uh, Combat Records. Okay. And so he said, nope, not making a live record. And that's, uh, I was so excited. I was going to, I'm saying to my, this is the only live record that they'll make. Right. And I'm going to be playing bass on it. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Big feather in my cap, you know? Sure. And then it didn't happen. But man, we got we got really good, man. Those guys yeah. were really really good live and and just a crazy experience. How long were you in the Circle Jerks? About a year. And you didn't get to record anything with them. It was just all live stuff. Well, we did some kind of thing on MTV, some acoustic thing where I played fretless bass and they played acoustic guitars and What? Pounded on a bongo. I don't know where it went or who has it, but Okay. Oh my god, that was, Circle Jerks acoustic with a fretless bass. I'd have never I'd have never thunk it, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Then return to Metropolis? Yeah, it's Metalopolis. But no. um Oh my bad. You're right. No, no, everybody's everybody does that. Yeah, yeah. No, but the thing was, is I was writing that material on the road with the Circle Jerks. Whenever I had a chance, I would like work it out, listen to stuff I had recorded with my brother before I left, and okay. So that that you know, we were really prepared. We had all the pre-production done on it, and then I wanted to use Randy Burns because I really liked the way Randy Burns did Peace Cells, mm-hmm. and um, that's how that happened. It's the first time you mentioned your brother. This is this is uh, Mark Poland, right? Right, right. The guy who played on Damn the Machine. <clears throat> yep. So, what was your relationship like with Mark? Now we got to wind it back. What was your relationship like with Mark? Uh, younger? Or, are you younger or older than Mark? Older. Okay. So he was your, your younger brother who started playing drums and you weren't paying attention? Or were you guys jamming together when you were younger? Um, you, know, in the, in, in, you know, at the house, I would like say, hey, you know. Not that I knew anything, but I think I showed him something on a hi-hat, which made no sense. <laughs> no, he, he, he basically taught himself drums. Okay. Really, really good drummer. Yes, he is. Uh, underrated. Whatever happened yeah. to him? Where is he now? He, we work together at the studios. Right on. Okay. He's got a jazz kit now. He does a lot of freeform stuff in his room where if you're standing outside his door, you're saying, holy shit, man, that guy's good. Right. Why isn't he? Why isn't he in a band? And he's just not. He doesn't do bands anymore. Gotcha. I can, I can understand that. Sure.
All right, so at this point, where are you at with your personal life? Do you know Allison yet? Uh, are you just single dude bouncing around in bands? Where, where's, where's your Oh, you back, back while we're doing Metalopolis? Oh, I mean, at any point during any of these Megadeth uh, Circle Jerk Metalopolis years. Oh, sh she's not even born yet. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Guess you weren't together then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, um, she, she's... Um, She's 17 years younger than me. All right. It's a weird thing, but... And right. I didn't hear it. it just worked, yeah, it just worked out. Yeah, how old are you? Uh, 30. You're a liar. That makes her 13. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a nine-year-old daughter. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> What goes on out there? <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> no, I, I just turned 60. Okay, all right. And she, that makes her 43. She's my age. I'm 42, so whatever. There you go. Yeah, all right. Okay, so you're... <laughs> okay, not with Allison, obviously. Um, what next after Metalopolis? Um, we're out on the road. Uh-huh. We're, we're with Death Angel. Right on. Okay. And, and they have that terrible wreck, man. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so we wind up um, up in San Francisco doing a benefit for the band. Okay. And um, the tour is cut short, and then Enigma goes bankrupt. So now um, Retur Return to Metalopolis, whatever, is gone. Gone? Yeah, the record's gone. The record company went bankrupt. So my manager goes into um, what's left of Enigma... And calls them on the on the floor about how they had a, a David Cassidy record that they used all the third and fourth quarter money to uh, promote it. But the problem was is the brothers that ran the company also managed David Cassidy, and it's totally illegal in California. So they're offering everyone else their records at um, fifty cents on the dollar if they want to buy their records. But my manager knows what's really going on. And so she walks in and she goes, you're just going to give me the record or I'm going to call you out on this. And they said, okay. <laughs> Run that past me one more time. They took the two brothers that ran Enigma. Uh -huh. were man they were managing David Cassidy, but they were also running the label he was on. And in California, that's a conflict. Because they're like basically double dipping. Yeah, so... All right. Cassidy's records tanks. Okay. They have no money. They go bankrupt. Now they're trying to get money from people that had made records. They're going to sell them their records at 50 cents on the dollar of whatever. Like, if your record costs $10 to make, you can buy it back for 5 Okay. So she went in there and stood on their desk and said, you're going to give me the record. Got it. Or, I'm Got gonna, it. or, you, or me and you and everybody is going to know. And she, being. she threatened to be a whistleblower. I like it. Yeah, no, she was she was a shark. I like it. So so yeah, now so, you, so you got your record. Got it. Own it. <laughs> like now you can do whatever you want. You could you could press it to uh, quadruple vinyl if you wanted to. You own the rights to it and everything. Yep. Dig it. All right, cool. All right. Okay. What's next after that? After the album. After after Enigma goes under and now you own your album but you have no label, 
what the hell is a man to do? Well, we, um, Dave Randy was in our touring band for uh, Metalopolis. Mm-hmm. So we kicked around the idea of like finding a singer and just starting a new project. So we, uh, we would audition people all the time, guitar players all the time. And um, <laughs> if we didn't like somebody, I would say, hey, man, you guys want to go get lunch? And, that, and that's how Mark and Dave knew that this guy was not in. That was your code. And that, yeah, and then we would take him and buy him, you know, some tacos. And he'd go, all right, bro, we'll call you. And um, so anyway, we finally met uh, Dave Clemens, really good songwriter and a really, really good lyricist. Okay. So my brother talked me into it, and I sucked it up and said, all right, he's in the band. Let's start working. And so, of course, Janie Hoffman gets us another deal at A&M. And, um, and you know what? That was I was I was so sad when that that whole thing caved in that I can't even remember exactly what happened. Okay. So I can't I can't tell you how it ended. I just know that they took us in a room like this weird room where people were bringing food out of these like um, these doors that were. Like, you couldn't see the door, but all of a sudden the wall would open up and a guy would come out with, like, hors d'oeuvres and stuff. Okay. And, and so um, the heads of A&M are saying, hey, man, we know you guys are, you're not going to break until your third record, and we want you to know that we're behind you 100% and that you have a home here at A&M. And all my life before that, I never trusted a label. I never had any faith that anything was going to happen. Okay. I always kept... I always kept my cards close to my chest. And that was the first time in my life I said, oh, my God, I can finally relax. And I, like six months later, they're like, yeah, you're gone. It, yeah, no, it totally broke my heart, man. Sure, sure. Now, this is, this is, um, this guy. 90, Dave, 93 or something? 90, 90 something? I don't know. 93, I think it was. Is this still Chris Poland solo thing, or is this Damn the Machine officially at this point? Oh, this is Damn the Machine. Okay, yeah, yeah we, didn't, we didn't transition into that yet. Yeah. Yeah, man, when people start telling, you know, when, when the guys that run the show there, I mean, and the one guy at the table signed the doors, you know, it's like when people like that tell you that, if they didn't mean it, they shouldn't have said it, because... You know, I swallowed that thing, hook, line, and sinker, man. Sure, sure. God, man, that's rough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever, we're all alive. But, I mean, but at the time, yeah, to, for you to be the starving artist who went all the way from Megadeth to Solo to Damn the Machine and then finally have a major label say, we got you, I, I would imagine you finally feel like, oh, my God, I can finally take my foot off the gas pedal for a minute. And then six months later, yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm telling you, man. What was the uh what was the time in Damn the Machine like? What what kind of touring did you guys do? I I never knew of any tours. Oh sure, we, sure you got out we, there, but I never saw it. Yeah, we, we toured the States with Voivod. Ugh. Yeah. And oh, then uh I, I think we did that. we may have went to Canada and Mexico with Voivod. But then we did um all of Europe with uh, Dream Theater. Right on. Wow. And, and, yeah, our tour started in New York. We did a show 
with them, some kind of trade show thing. I'm not sure if it was NAM, but it was something like that. And then we flew to Europe and, you know, did all of Europe. It was great. 93, 94-ish. That's yes. when Dream Theater's Images and Words was, the, that, that's when they, they broke everything. They broke all the rules at that point. And you guys were on tour with them in Europe at that time. Wow. Yeah, and, and you know what? Their, their fans liked us. And I made the mistake one night. Uh, we did two nights at the, I think it's called the Docks or something okay. in Frankfurt. And the first night we played, they, we, we got done with our last song. And the audience would not stop screaming and, and, you know, yelling and one more, one more. And so I said, all right, do a, let's do a quick one. Mm-hmm. Um, Dream Theater's management calls me upstairs and said, if you, you know, if it was anybody else, you guys would be like, we, you'd be like going home now. But we've decided to, you know, we're just going to give you a verbal lashing. And if you do that ever again... Even if it's not on tour with us, we're going to come there and fire you. <laughs> Jesus, why? Oh, man, because you don't do an encore when you're the opening act. It's not done. It's like, it's like an unsaid, like, you, if you do an encore and you're the opening act, you're like saying, fuck Dream Theater. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't take it that way either. That's bullshit. Oh, no. Now, you know, yeah, after they explained it to me, and matter of fact, Andy Somers and my, our manager said, "Dude, what are you nuts?" <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself, man. And, and you, a- you totally didn't have the fuck Dream Theater attitude either. You didn't know. You just thought, "Oh, they want more. I'll feed them." Right? Yeah, and it was just a little. You know, it was like three minute song. Yeah. But those those guys were so um, on top of their game and so pro about everything. Mm-hmm. If you took two minutes off what they were planning to do that night, they will fucking scalp you. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so, luckily, they didn't scalp me. They just beat me up a little. <laughs> What'd you do? Cut into a fourteen-minute guitar solo or a ten-minute drum solo or something? Oh no, 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 dude! I totally what? respect. I totally get what they were saying, man. And and I, I think about you. it. I cringe when I think that I did that. No. I got you, but all right. Relax. I just got cu- I got caught up in the moment, and and my band said, "Okay, he must know what he's doing." <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well there you go. Uh, if there's anybody out there who's happened to be <laughs> the opening act on a major uh-huh. tour, don't do an encore. So what do you do? Just ignore them? The crowd's like one more song, one more song, and you're just like, "No, I'm gonna go have a sandwich." Bye. No, you know, to tell you the truth, that's how you're supposed to leave them. Okay. Right. Yeah. Whatever. I'm. I, okay. I, I. I. got my. I got my qualms with that. I, I don't think it's an issue either. I think it's awesome that you're. That somebody booked a tour so good that even the opening band is getting called for an encore. I get the timing thing. I get that unions have to be done by a certain time. Whatever. I. I. I get all that. But. Usually, when I go see a band. The opening act is kind of like, uh huh. All right, you guys. Like that? I, I paid thirty five bucks. I'd rather see the the guys with the big font at the top of the poster. Let's go. Shit off the pot. If if somebody if an opening act is so good that I'm screaming one more song, one more song, I, I'm okay with. You know what I'm saying? But that's me as a fan. What do I know? All right. 
So then, um, I'm very, very confused as to why damn the machine, why well, I guess six months later the, the label dropped you. I get that. But I'm very confused as to why damn the machine kind of unofficially became something called Mumbo's Brains. Oh, yeah. Um, Is that because you couldn't call it damn the machine anymore because of the label stuff? No, no. Okay, then what happened? Like I said before, the the taste in my mouth from what happened. Uh huh. I, I I couldn't I couldn't even I didn't even want to hear that band name anymore. Gotcha. So that's when again my brother Mark found uh, John Skip. My brother uh, was dating Dave Randy's sister Leah, and Leah was friends with uh, John Skip. Okay. And and also Carol MacArthur, who's a really gorgeous singer. Okay. My brother meets him and says. And here's them singing. They're all singing. You know, they just grab a guitar and start singing songs. And um, so my brother says, hey, man, you should come down and just let's, let's see what happens. So he came down, and his style was very strange, but there was something about him that, you know, again, my brother talked me into it, and I was like, you know what? Let's see what happens. And um, no matter what we did, man, we could not get anybody to, to bite, you know, they just didn't like it. And I, you know, it was fun. We had a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. And he was a really creative guy. He's a total horror fiction novelist hmm. who actually has something on TV right now. I mean, he's written like five books and been published, you know, by. This is the, vo the, the vocalist for your next band called Mumbo's Brains. Yeah. Has something on TV right now. What is it? I can't. I can't remember. Somebody oh. told me he, he just got a, a some kind of show on TV. But oh, right on, cool. You know, he's he's a really talented guy, and like I said, a really good lyricist. He's a you know a writer. So, mm -hmm. and so we did our you know that kind of trippy thing, and it was fun. We opened for Todd Rundgren at the House of Blues for two nights. Right on. The first night, they left. We had the whole, we got full PA, the second floor was open, we did our thing, and, you know, and I'm there, we're there with our gear, we're there all, you know, like, to the tens, you know, mm -hmm. and um, we get us, we get, they freak out, they will not stop, just like in Frankfurt, <laughs> and we don't, uh -oh. we, we don't, we don't do an encore. <laughs> no, because, you know, because I know that if I do that, I'm going to get in trouble, right? Somehow Dream so, Theater's management is going to pop out of the woodwork. And yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, like, poof. <laughs> all right, dude, I told you. <laughs> uh, okay. But anyway, we get done playing. We haven't done anything wrong, man. Mm -hmm. um, Todd Rundgren, the, in the morning, gets a call. My manager gets a call and says, that band's done. He, that guy moved my pedal board. I don't want that band back here. And um, oh, uh, we did a blues version of the Cure song. It's called Love Song, I think. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. I'm alone. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And we're doing this heavy, heavy blues of that. Oh. With a big, you know, a big-ass guitar solo and just, just totally milking it, right? Mm -hmm. He gets up on a microphone, and Prairie Prince is playing drums. And he turns around, and first thing he says to him is gives him a lecture on how to play drums on stage. Ew. 
Yeah, and so that right away, I'm like, whoa, this this guy's really upset. This is so then he's Rungren. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then he tells the audience, you know, I'm going to tell you something, and you better believe it. White people should never play blues. <laughs> and I was like, what did he say? Uh, okay. So now this is before we get the call. This is on stage that night. So I'm starting to get the feeling that he's not really happy about us. And um, yeah, I would I, say so. I, I, I'm going to back up to sound check that day. Mm-hmm. At the House of Blues, you do not diss the monitor man or the house guy. You just okay. don't. You know? And so he's there telling him, if I knew you guys sucked this bad, I would have brought my own backline, my own monitor system. I mean, you guys can't mix a drink. And so we're watching this, right? What the hell's and now, with this guy? Really? Because we were there before. We opened for Deep Purple, and we knew that these guys were, they were not always, like, polite or anything. Because they're like, if you're the opening act, you're prob- you're, you probably suck. <laughs> so, anyway... They heard us play one song, and they were like, oh, okay. And they worked, we had a, like a, a half-hour sound check, and they dialed us in. They gave us full PA, wow. opened, up, opened up the second floor, and we had full lights. Which is, which is an unofficial way of saying, hey, this opening band's worth listening to. Well, no, not only that. They were like, these guys are going to just smoke the, the, you know, what's happening. Right. So, well, yeah. And so they got us dialed in. We do our set. People mm-hmm. freaked out, and of course, like we said before, I thought like tour man- uh, the tour manager from Dream Theater is going to like poof be there and say, "Don't you dare!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, wake up in the morning, get a call from uh, I think it was um, Rugren's uh, management saying, "Yeah, we won't need uh, your band to open tonight." Uh, evidently, he uh, your guitar player moved a bunch of Todd's stuff around and. Um, and I didn't touch anything. I was going to say, did you? No, I didn't. I don't, I don't do anything like that. I'm just, I have my little spot and that's where I am. Okay. And uh, so, so uh, Janie calls the House of Blues and says, hey, um, they're telling us we can't open tonight. And so the House of Blues goes, oh no, you signed a contract. You're opening tonight. Like, like they were like, we're going to screw this guy right now. So, they were so pissed at him, man. They were like, oh, no, you're opening. Have no worries. Be here at 5 for a sound check. And so we get there, but this time, half PA, half lights, and the second floor was not open. Hmm. It was still good, but not like the first night. So check this out. Janie writes a letter and gives it to uh, Todd's manager. Who, now, who is this? Uh, Janie Hoffman. Okay. She 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 managed uh, all my stuff back then. Okay. All right. And um, it's a scathing letter of of how she loved his. You know, I mean, she went through everything that he ever did and what it made her, and 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 how it was and how good it was and how he just ruined everything for her. And it was terrible. It was a kind of letter. If you ever got it, you'd never forget it. Mm-hmm. It was like a love letter, man, from from um, 
Blue Velvet, man. <laughs> it was like... O- opposite of a love letter. It's a you broke my heart <laughs> letter, you know? Yeah, so anyway. Wow. That was that. That was, that. That was another experience have you ever considered not being in such good bands chris you're pissing everybody off everywhere you go uh, no <laughs> <laughs> good answer the site at asthestorygrows.com and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Special thanks to Brian Patton who helps me out with the interviews, scheduling, and editing of this show. Visit the Bandcamp link in the notes of this show for some free cover songs, some free tunes, and merch. If you like what you heard and would like to help, there's a Patreon link on every episode or you can look for the dollar sign on the website for one-time donations. If you can't afford to donate, no problem. Tell a friend, and thank you so much for listening today. Take care. Bye-bye.